Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Hey, I'm Mike. And I'm Kevin. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of your favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Kevin. I'm back with Mike. Howdy ho. And we're going to be talking about a movie that's near and dear to both of our hearts, uh, 1982's Beastmaster. We're also joined by a special guest, college roommate of mine from Georgia State, John Arnold. Hi. We're very excited. <laughs> we're very excited to welcome John in from out of town. A Beastmaster aficionado. Uh, I don't know about that. But <laughs> greetings from Houston, nonetheless. <laughs> John, do you remember the first time you saw the movie? I have vivid recollections of just about every Sunday coming home from church, my sister making lunch, and us watching Beastmaster every week. Just I, about. I feel like it was on TBS every week. Yeah. Like it was reliably, it would be on once a weekend at least. Yeah, I was watching, uh, I was looking at some notes and it was, um, somebody said, because it was on HBO a lot and he was, and he was saying, uh, has Beastmaster on or something like that. That's what <laughs> that's what HBO stands for. And I'm pretty sure that's why I saw Beastmaster as a kid. I so. didn't grow up with HBO, so I was watching that TV edit all along. So seeing it now opened my eyes a little bit. They said that Beastmaster was the uh, was the second most frequent showing on TBS and TNT behind Gone with the Wind. Really? Yeah, that's a true fact. That's a true fact. That's Look that awesome. one up. That's, that's Google. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie I probably hadn't watched it in fifteen years at least, maybe twenty years. And when I was watching it, it all came flooding back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, I I don't even remember the last time I saw it, but you're right. As soon as I started watching it, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember <laughs> I, all of this. I mean, any time <laughs> back in the day, if I was flipping through the channels and it was on, I would stop and watch to the oh, end. Yeah, definitely. Really? I think so. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was, John and I are a bit younger than you. Like, I'd be 10 years old. I'd get my, probably my He-Man toys out mm-hmm. and I'd just sit and watch it the rest of the way and play with my toys. Hey, I don't know if I'd could say I love this movie, but I do remember watching it like many, many times. Like, and, and, yeah. and that's the thing that sticks out to me. I just know I saw it all the time. I, I guess, and we're going to get to it. The one thing that sticks out to me is the bird people, but just because that's <laughs> yeah. such a cool scene. They're creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all right, let's, like you say, let's get to the, the meat here. Um, I guess we should handle just like a little bit before this movie is written and directed by a guy named Don Coscarelli. Mm-hmm. Um, he had done a movie called Phantasm. Uh, one of my favorite I've films. never seen it, but I Great heard it was movie. awesome. And then he did Bubba Hotep as well. Never seen that. I never. I I could never really vibe on it, but I know a lot of people like really love that. Um, there was probably like I did the research. There's probably like 15 or so barbarian movies that came out, yeah. like around the same era, like early 80s to late 80s. Big sword and sorcery time. Yeah, it film. was like, uh, and He Man, of course, was big on TV, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. 
it was just like a heyday for dudes running around in loincloths with swords and stuff. <laughs> but I give Conan, I, I feel like Conan was like the, the flagship yeah. movie, right? And this is the one that came, and this movie came out the same year, correct? Like just a couple months after. After, okay. They were probably in a race like... We can get this out when Conan's still a movie that people are talking about. Not according to the DVD commentary. <laughs> Coscarelli denies that he knew anything about Conan. I, I find that. I mean, it's a it's a it's a lie. Yeah, that, that, that has to be a lie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like, absolutely. I mean, I know they didn't have social media like we do now, but I feel like Hollywood back then was they a lot knew. smaller. Small yeah. Small so like, yeah, that they script knew. was floating around, and this does have the feel of like a knockoff, like a oh, of course a knockoff film. Although it was is based on a book, and I forget the lady's name, but. John knows. Um, oh, Andre Norton. Yeah. The yeah. last Navajo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a woman though, right? I'm not sure. Yeah, it was. So the, um, the, the name is Andre Norton, but I know it's, it's a female that wrote okay, it. Okay. Okay. So she, that, I guess that's her pen name. And it was like a person who, uh, a warrior who talked to animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's like a violent the same Dr. Kind of thing, like, like, like Puma, Eagle, Bear, Wolf kind of I rated a hard Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> With a lot more like ass cheeks. Exactly. <laughs> a lot. Um, I mean, the opening credits on this thing are terrible. It's like all these still frames of animals. It's just production stills, basically, I feel like. Just the same hawk or eagle, whatever, over and over again from different angles and the big cat. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, the music was great, though. I think yeah, we can agree. Is, I like the music. music. Excellent. Really? I don't, I don't know who. I don't it know. Doesn't who did it doesn't stick out to me. Yeah. yeah I just yeah. remember thinking, no, the music's outdoing the, what we're it's seeing. It's very cinematic. <laughs> the guy's name is Lee Holdridge. And the only other thing he ever really did was the theme song from Moonlighting for which, <laughs> for which he nice. won, he won like a daytime Emmy. <laughs> very nice. I don't think I ever watched Moonlighting either so, or would know this. But the thing is, song. so the guy wasn't doing just like schlock B movie type, like in his garage. Yeah, he had like a career. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Um, real, real quick note. So this, I, I, this film was made in California. Doesn't it look like it was made in Italy or Spain? Like, like they just like took the whole yeah. crew over to over there for real cheap because they could just film over there. What I read said like California and Nevada. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like the Mojave Desert or Death, Death Valley area. Yeah, but doesn't that like boost the production cost? It looked awesome. I yeah. mean, I thought the, the the landscape looked nice, the rock formations and all that. Um, we also, I think, all noticed that the this movie was shot by John Alcott, who's the cinematographer, who's like a big deal. <laughs> yeah. He was like Kubrick's guy. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> this dude shot, before this, he shot Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, and The Shining. So you basically... And then he went into do the Beastmaster. So you're saying Beastmaster paid for like that two-door garage in his house, well, or he, he wanted to like another car? He kind of never worked for Kubrick again. There had so to have been some They had a falling out. Event. Another theory... Kubrick saw Beastmaster and said, you'll never work for me again. <laughs> but you, so you have to think that when people make movies, especially like a movie like Beastmaster, they go into it with all good intentions, right? Oh, of course. They're like, I'm making a quality film, especially Don Coscarella. Like he seems like the kind of guy that's like really enjoys making movies. Did he, on the commentary, was he like, did he take the movie seriously after the fact? Yeah, it seemed, it seemed by and large like, Unironic, like you hear some big, like '80s directors and stuff talking about films, and it's like kind of tongue in cheek. They didn't really care about it, but in in his defense, it seems like he was in earnest. Like he was, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door, right. so I'm making this movie with Roger Corman right quick before I get my own my own movie. I guess this is where the plot of the movie kicks in, right? <laughs> we got these like robed figures walking through some village. It all is like very what desert looking. Walk into a 
like a big ass pyramid. Yeah. A Mayan. It did have that Mayan look like tiered stair steps. Kind of reminded me of like the three wise men. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, considering what they were setting. Yeah. yeah, Like hut, like sort of like dried mud huts. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you see where they're going, they're going to uh, talk about a child. And it's, you know, it kind of has that biblical feel to it. (laughs) But inside we got these three witches that are like gyrating over a cauldron. Yes. Do you know who one of those witches I looked them all up and they were all hot. Well, one of them is Janet Jones. Okay. What was she known for? That's in that Wayne Gretzky's wife. I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I saw, I looked them up and they were all like, of course they were. Oh yeah. They were in real life. They made them up to look hideous. Like these (laughs) these chicks were like the original butter faces. (laughs) (laughs) Like they were banging, but their faces were like old lady faces. Kind of no sexy witches from Macbeth. Ah. It doesn't work. So, yeah, Janet Jones was uh, which woman, which woman, number three, number three. Yeah, I don't know if that I never knew could tell which one was supposed to be with. I don't know. I looked them all up and they were all like, of course, they were like the hottest chicks Mm -hmm. available at the time. So I thought that was kind of interesting that like there there are like real people in this movie. And I I know that sounds weird, but there were (laughs) real people, legit like (laughs) named people. I know what you mean. Like like, they went on, they had families. Yeah, they they had had careers about them. Uh, It's like, that's a real person. They're a real person. (laughs) Not just like a disposable. And this was the first and only thing they ever did. Yeah. yeah. Well, Janet Jackson, uh, Janet Jones did marry Wayne Gretzky. So I wonder if that was like, so one of the witches gave us like a lot of ass crack. Shifted to the side. I wonder if that could have been Janet. And I saw this on YouTube and it said, Hey, everybody out there, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube for free. And and it shows everything. Everything. It's out. If that that means anything to you. (laughs) If you want to press pause and watch the movie and then come back. (laughs) Butt Creek at two minutes and 32 (laughs) seconds. Um, And they got their leader is a guy called Mayax, um, played by Rip Torn. With a fake nose on, right? Oh, yeah. Really bad yeah. fake nose. Okay. I was like, did he have a nose job later and that was real? But okay, it was definitely fake. So it's like a bird-like nose. Yeah, he insisted on that. I think he brought that from home. <laughs> it was a part of his personal collection. <laughs> it, it, it really kind of makes no sense why he has that nose. No, it's distracting. Like, I wonder if like... Because Rip Torn, to me, seems like the kind of actor that was like drinking Jack Daniels during takes. So I wonder if he was He's like, like an old school guy, yeah, like just a tough old, guy. Like hitting, like doing cigars and everything. <laughs> so I'm wondering if he was like, you know, had a busted nose or something like that. It makes that. sense. So he grew up in Texas and was uh, a rancher and said that he got into movies and acting because he wanted to buy his own ranch. Okay. So rough and tumble hmm. Texan. And then as we see later in the movie, he's got some physical strength, even though those are children. <laughs> but he's been pressing <laughs> toddlers. <laughs> uh, Arnold would be proud. So uh, these witches, uh, they prophesize that the unborn son of the king, King Zed, is going to kill Mayax. So Mayax plans to kill the son first, I guess. And this yeah, is one of those was. lines that sticks in our, in all of our heads. I think where it's like, he will die. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all like over the top. Yeah. But I love it at this very moment, right? When they were talking about, we got to kill Zed's son. That's when Zed walks in with all his, like his little soldiers and he's got his top Lieutenant there, which is John Amos. Yeah. Uh, John, John Amos, Amos plays uh, Seth, the palace guard. And he's uh, in full guard. Retaliate yeah. or his outfit cool. and everything like that, which kind of sets up when you see him later on in the film. 
So you know John Amos from Good Times, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, other he stuff. He was the but... bad guy in Die Hard 2. Yeah, he was. Yeah. One of the bad guys in there. So he's got like some action movie pedigree. He's great in here. I mean... He looked great in like the get up and all that, the loincloth. Yeah, I, I, for me, it was like I knew John Amos from um, mostly Good Times at that point, and it was just good to see him in like an action film because yeah. you know there weren't you didn't see a lot of black actors in action films back then. Mm-hmm. So for me to see that was was great. And he got to be like the strong, like the tough guy, the good tough guy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so. Then Zed tells Mayax, you're out of here. Basically, we're kicking you out of the village. And Mayax, <laughs> he lays out the whole plan. Like, I'm going to kill your son. <laughs> well, so we talked about this. Like, Mayax lays out the plan of killing his son. And then Zed's like, you got to go. Like, who, <laughs> nope, who's going to tell me you're about to kill my kid? And like, you know what? You leave the room. Like, you're go to sit in the corner. You're, you're punished. You're bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like just... Dumb old Zed. Yes, <laughs> like that's that's just not my style. But I think Mayax does a really good job of showing like the dedication of his his uh, following by having his two guards side oh, yeah, him. Like ritual suicide. Yeah, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, yeah like that's one creepy. of the more effective things in the movie is just because it's creepy. Well, the looks on all of their faces, like the little back and forth looks, and then and then mm-hmm. Mayax's sort of self satisfied little smile after they done. He looks it. real he's proud. Like, he's super Jones. He's like, yeah, yeah. Nice. which is similar to in Conan. Yeah, I was just when uh, James Earl Jones has one of the his, the slaves just jump off that yeah, cliff. Absolutely. Whatever, Zed. He's like, all right, take him, take him prisoner. Yeah. Like that's just not. I guess that's not how Zed handles conflict. He's just like, <laughs> he just lets him go. We're gonna walk you out of here and don't ever come I, back. So like, it's not like. He he's stole his book king. bag or anything like that. He's like, he literally said, I'm going to kill your kid. You're not your kid, your unborn kid. Like, you can't just let that <laughs> dude go, man. <laughs> so I love after this, um, we cut to one of the witches is creeping into Zed's tent. So Zed basically, and I don't even know how Zed was back in the tent in bed already at this time when they're escorting Max out on a horseback or whatever. But He's just there, no guards around, open air tent. I think that you kind of have to preface the, this part is is the same with the rest of the movie, and that is that as far as time is concerned, that a suspension of disbelief maybe is necessary. Okay. Like, maybe hours have passed. <laughs> yeah, that for me, if some, if some, it doesn't make any sense. If some dude with a cult-like following is like, I'm going to kill your son tonight, I just can't see... Going back home and going to sleep. Like, <laughs> no guard. Some Z's. Ah, honey, it's been a no rough guard. day. Can you believe what Mayak sold me? Can you not like said he was going to kill my kids? All right, good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> he was sound asleep. Well, that one witch. Yeah, he was asleep, but the witch. She didn't just sneak into his room. She snuck in with an ox, <laughs> not a cow, not a goat, a friggin' ox. Like the smell alone should have woken them up. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised it didn't have like one of those ox bells on it. Like ding, 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 ding. And, and like they were just like out. Uh, and she's pregnant at this point. So, you know, she's got like morning sickness or like. It's not, it's not like creeping around corners by yourself. Yeah. You're dragging like 700, 800 pound of beef behind you. So this is kind of badass because I like this moment where the the witch has some sort of potion that she pours across the throats of the two of them that's like glowing like bright blue, I think. And it like pins them down sort of in some kind of way, like immobilizes them, which was a cool effect. And then she does some sort of witch type spell and transports the baby yeah. mm-hmm. from the mother's belly into the ox, Yeah, which I'm not really sure yeah, I was why to- it needed to be done in this way rather than just 
killed the baby right then and there, Cut especially the if you're like, this baby's going to kill Mayax. Yeah. It seems like Mayax's top priority should just be, we got to kill this baby by any means necessary, not some big ritual. So like I said earlier, I felt this movie was about 15 minutes too long. That's just a and moment where they could have, <laughs> they could have, they could have killed the baby beast master right then and just been roll credits. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. credits. The movie should have been called something else. Then, though. <laughs> it's true. Man, it's, it's true. Um, <laughs> It's a cool, effective moment for me when they transport, like, the baby into the ox's belly. Because it's like the ox's belly is swelling up. And I don't mm. really know how they did that, but it was a pretty cool effect. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know how they did it either. I, I remember thinking, that's really cool. Because did yeah. they have, like, a fake stomach on the ox and just kind of blew it up with, like, a bladder or something that's, like that? It's got to be something cool. Yeah, I don't know how they did that. Um, and then this witch, when she just vanishes, amazing cackle. Like, oh, yeah. there's some quality Price cackling winning. in this movie. Uh, I'll see and if I can find that. There's like half a dozen amazing just witch cackles in this. <laughs> Did they so, practice those cackles? I don't like know. In- they got a. They brought in a professional cackler oh, for sure. Okay, so the witch is out in the forest, basically performing like this ritual in front of like this giant blue flame, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, but um, she she cuts the baby out of the ox. And then she's performing this ritual where she, I don't know, she brands the kid on the hand with some kind of a symbol. It was like the mark of R. The mark of R. The mark of R. (laughs) The God. Um, Yeah, that was that was when uh, when Mayax outlined the plan: brand the baby, cut from the mother, sacrifice. Like that's how it had to be done, I guess. That's that's the sequence. But they never say like, what's the point of branding the kid if you're just going to kill it? It was, I guess, it was sacrifice to the God. But if all your plan is is to keep this kid from one day killing me. You definitely didn't have to do. No, it. no, there. Were, yeah, again, like I said, fifteen minutes could have easily have been cut out. Of this. <laughs> but I guess they had to have. They had to have a way to recognize that he was the firstborn later in the film. So. Right, right. But um, so uh, just by chance, like this um person out of nowhere comes along, and he kind of sees what's going on from behind. He's you know creeping up on the lady. And he sees her raise up a, a knife. Right. And, and he like, hears a baby crying. Is that so what he, he can so he tell the baby? Like that something bad. So like, this ain't. Here's a baby scream when, when the witch brings. Like, this, this isn't right. So he <laughs> takes out, um, I think it's called a glaive. Uh, if you've seen crawl, it's a lot like the yes. glaive and crawl. But um, he throws it and he hits the lady uh, in the back, right? Basically not killing her because I think she disappears. Yeah. She like, we walks up on the body and then when he pulls the thing out. Like the the robes just collapse like Jedi style. Obi Wan's, yeah, yeah. But doesn't doesn't she come back and like throw she him does. into the she fire? She appears again yeah. behind, behind him, him and and whatever. They fight a little bit and she he stabs her with his sword. Yeah, and that seems to finally kill her. Yeah, but she falls into the fire and goes up like right in a puff of smoke or something. Yeah, she's yeah. combustible. That must have been witchy woman number <laughs> and one. She let out a great cackle. <laughs> but uh, so long story short, um, this guy comes <laughs> it's a along. Very long story. Yeah, this guy comes along and he basically saves the kid which you know kind of cool because uh it's following along with this prophecy of the the baby that's going to come back and kill max so all these things are kind of falling online even yeah. from that young age this happens in so many movies where it's like a prophecy of what's going to happen and then by by trying to prevent the prophecy from you happening you actually make sure it does happen yeah that's like always always so uh we skip ahead a couple of years and now the kid is uh being trained by his new adopted father right and they're i guess they're sword fight training and then his yeah, dad sword pulls training, out the, he's got the thing yeah so his dad pulls out the 
He's like, hey, check out this really cool thing. <laughs> and in the movie, they call it a caber. A caber, but yeah. But it's also... It's called a glaive, like the so official it's a real, name. It's like a real well, life, like, like a weapon that people really use. It's like, a, well, it's like the, the glaive and crawl that he mentioned. It's like, yeah. it's basically the, the boomerang style weapon of choice in the 1980s. It's a sharp, it's, it's a bladed a, weapon that'll come back to you. It feels like it. a Celtic... It's like a Celtic throwing star, you know, like okay. that's, I mean, that's the kind of feeling I get, but it's also like a boomerang. I don't see how it comes back. Cause it's like steel. And then how you catch it without hurting <laughs> without yourself. your hand. Well, the, 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 uh, Mad Max, right? And Mad Max, he had a special it, glove. It to comes catch back it. And, it, and he cuts off as that dude's finger. Feral kid. He throws, he, he that throws thing. it at a guy's head. He's like, here, watch this. He takes the little <laughs> rag off the top of his head, like his turban. And the, and the guy wasn't even mad. He, he was, was like, a little mad. He was like, you <laughs> asshole or something like that. I was oh, like, dude, oh. you threw a freaking a knife in my head, man. And they think that that's the funniest <laughs> shit that's ever yeah, happened. Yeah. No one's laughed hard. They are laughing for 30 seconds yeah. at least. They're, up, they're having a good old time by <laughs> almost killing somebody. But that's but, when the boy who I think for the sake of the podcast we should just call Beastmaster mm-hmm. so we don't get confused. Okay. Like about his name. He's Beastmaster. Yeah, well, Dar. He's Dar, but they don't call him we Beastmaster know he's that Dar. much. He only gets called Beastmaster once. A couple of times, yeah. I like saying Beastmaster. Well, you, you, do, you do you, Kevin. <laughs> even, even, despite, do even despite Mark Singer's, I'm Dar. <laughs> yeah. You said yeah. that really well. <laughs> he was a swaggering guy. Um, but uh, this is where we kind of first see Dar's... Uh, Animal control, and I have no idea if like he's had this before. This is the first time they sh- they show it to us, you know. Like he could have been yeah. sitting around the village and like he's communicating with dog his dog or cats. something like that. Like oh, I get the feeling like this is the first time. He it seemed like a surprise even to the young boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, but the fact that he even knew that to do that, like. Like it, you don't think he was like messing around with ants when he was like a huh. two year old? Does like, like to see if I can do the ants, ants to do their own thing? And then when he was a little older, he could control snakes. And now that well, he's he sensed, this age, he sensed that some sort of monster was in the brush or whatever, right? Yeah. Like so, maybe that was what the thing is. I can tell something bad's about to happen. And they really do play it up like as a monster. Like I was kind of surprised that a bear jumped out. Kind of a busted old bear. Well, it was a huge bear. Like, it was, but I felt like it was a probably a retired circus bear. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Apparently, Bill Jane, who is the name of the the young actor who you'll see in a lot of other '80s movies and stuff, he was not supposed to be on the set with that bear, especially after it had apparently gotten into it with like a handler or something like that, and so they had to substitute like a short actor with a wig because they couldn't be on set at the same time because of uh, regulations. The bear was still like a bad boy. Like, yeah, I mean, any bear can do damage. I, that seems so (laughs) reckless to put like an 11 year old kid on set with a like eight foot. And that was like his first scene. (laughs) Yeah. It was his only scene. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. So the bear ends up killing that one guy. And yeah. His dad gives him this big long speech about. I, so if you guys can explain this to me, I, I, please do. Like his dad gives him a big long speech about, look, you have these special powers. Um, you know, uh, you shouldn't let anybody know that you have these powers right. because of X, Y and Z. But you see that a lot. Like it's Superman. And he famously yeah. is like, don't let anybody know that you have all these superpowers. Why do you think the fathers are always telling that they're super kids not to. Well, what you were just saying a second ago about the him maybe having practiced his gift or whatever before, it kind of equates to the X-Men. They're, they do, the gift doesn't manifest itself until like puberty or whatever, and then all right. of a sudden they're aware of it. And then maybe if this is a superstitious culture, which it it 
seems likely it was, especially since the religious fanatics are in charge of it, then having a, a bestial power <laughs> like that would not be. It would freak looked, people out. Yeah, it would yeah. freak people out. So I could see that. But also, couldn't he be like controlling all the oxes or whatever in the village and like they're just out there plowing the fields themselves? Like, <laughs> he could have been like, he could have yeah. saved, like he could have made this village very, you know, well, whatever, profitable. Again, or, to Mike's point, this movie could have been 15 minutes shorter <laughs> if Beastmaster could communicate with horses, yeah. which he apparently cannot. I, I just, I don't, I, like I never, like Superman, I get because he's like an alien and like nobody else on the, pl- well, supposedly nobody else on the planet has like these superpowers, but in this world you have witches and warlocks and I mean that's you, true. You might even have a dragon or something <laughs> like that. Like you just have all these mystical things. And so for somebody to talk to animals, that to, to me seems kind of like not that big a deal. Like I feel like every village has somebody that talks to animals. So I just I just thought it was interesting that I want that on a shirt. <laughs> like the local shaman is like, yeah, you know, exactly. go talk to the animals. So basically it's a plot. It's a plot device. But dad tells him, Don't tell anyone about your secret, your animal secret, and the brand that's on your hand will be your guide for the future. Yeah, that seems like his dad knew a lot. You know? <laughs> a lot I mean, of information dad was giving yeah, out. A lot of exposition from dad. So we jump forward by probably another 20 years. Yeah, so Dar's, like Dar's all grown up. Now he's, now he's, he's a blonde guy now. now. he's Mark Singer. Oh, was he? <laughs> he's, the little kid was... He was dark brown. Yeah, he was. He's <laughs> like a mousy brown. Yeah, he became blonde now. Oh, God, That's I didn't really know that. Him. But uh, so we were first introduced to, to Mark Singer as Dar or the Beastmaster. The Beastmaster. Um, the title character. <laughs> he had a very Luke Skywalker vibe to him, didn't he? Oh, like, yeah, totally. Like he's the farm boy, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, this movie follows, is at this point, kind of following along with Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Like, um, because this next scene, um, it's like a peaceful village. Yeah, they're just, attacked by just kind just of living life, ruthless bad guys. Yeah, and um, Dar has like this moment. With his, and this is why you know that Dad's about to die because Dar has, as Dar is walking out the village, I think yes. he's like, yeah, doesn't he stop? Father, they just like sort of do some sort of hand gesture at each he other. He turns around and just says father which i took to mean like maybe that was a premonition maybe he felt like he wasn't <laughs> i needed to tell ydf i refer to him as ydf young dar's father he's just doing this <laughs> ydf he turns around to ydf and says father and nothing else and that's it yeah they that just give each other a look it's like well, i was like that dude about to die right yeah. there <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah so dar yeah. goes out into the field and he goes out there with uh you know a group of young men to like plow the fields and whatnot and um, he takes his dog with him. Dog <laughs> like stands up on this hill and he starts barking and everybody's like, oh, what the hell is he, the dog barking at? Off on the horizon, you can kind of see like this cloud, which uh, yeah, um, you can tell that like there's like something coming. And so Darn and his group run back to the village just in time that the Jun horde uh, attacked the village. Right. So, again, this is like Conan, you know, barbarians come in, attack the villas, kill everybody for no real good reason. Let's say, first off, young Dar's father uh, (laughs) goes and dramatically like grips the sword, which he just keeps leaning up next to the gate, I guess. Just in case. He pulls it out dramatically, draws like a line in the sand, like, come on, let's get it. Let's get it on. He does do like this wavering. He turns to a statue. And just gets trampled. <laughs> Moaned down. Yeah, he, he does. never even swung the sword. Once. I don't think he did. You're right. He just stood there. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. That bothered me. 
Um, yeah, John, you have any thoughts on Juns are moving fast. The, there, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in that whole little sequence. Um, not the least of which is like, what are they farming? Kind of looks like they're hacking at grass. <laughs> not a lot of actual grass. farming. It's like a lot of wheat. Um, Maybe uh, it has. It could only be some sort of grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, RIP YDF. Like getting yeah. get mowed down. He just got. He did not do a damn thing. Who Dar? The dad. No, the dad. YDF, yeah, yeah. yeah he, we do. And he we gets do points see, for being in the at point, but he. Yeah, he. The line gets, in the sand was about the most heroic thing. Yeah, in that that was, part, but and then, he did save Beastmaster, I guess. Earlier. From the witch, yeah. but yeah, whatever. And we also do see we get our first glimpse of the the big bad, the Jun yeah. captain. Yeah, it looks like an extra from Road Warrior. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty badass outfit. Yeah, man. the costume is cool. Very memorable. He's got like these sort of bat wings, mm-hmm. like on his helmet, and, like in a silhouette. He looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Jun horde they rush in, and uh, again they kill everybody. For, I mean, why do these people always attack like these these guys peaceful poor villages? Farmers, they, they have, have nothing. You're gonna take their wheat. You didn't even. I can see if like in this movie they didn't even take anything. They just killed everybody. Like they didn't take their kids. They didn't take their women. They just came in and just killed everybody. So, um, but uh, Dar rushes in. He's trying to fight everybody, and I think he gets in a couple licks. Yeah, he takes a guy or two out. Yeah, and I think he gets into a fight with the. This sets up the end of the movie because he gets into a little of a little bit of a fight with the Jun Horde leader, the big bad bad guy, right? But I forget what happens. Like he, some guy knocked out the way from behind and kind of knocked out. Dar gets a lot of blunt force trauma to the head in this scene, (laughs) and and I will say to the villagers' credit, at least a few of them got in some licks. It made them seem like not such big pushovers. They did fight back, but they were they were overwhelmed by the twenty four to thirty Jun (laughs) Jun Horde horse. That arrived in the village. Well, I mean, five men with guns could take That's out right. thirty men with with sticks. Yeah. <laughs> so. so Darg is kind of knocked out, I guess, or hit from behind and blind and whatever. And the the dog heroically like comes and drags him out of danger. Even gets shot with an arrow and still yeah. comes back and drags. How him much out. is Darway? I was like Probably 180, 190, because yeah, he's, yeah. he's muscle. He's, so I'd say like one. Yeah. yeah. And that dog pulled that guy like all out into the field. That was a you could tell when watching the movie that he was on like oh, a dolly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it kind of rolls. Yeah. Like the dog, like I didn't remember the dog grabbed his shirt and then like kind of dropped it, but he could still see him pulling now, it away. And he wakes up sometime later, who knows, mm-hmm. whatever. He comes back. Well, first I guess he wakes up and he sort of mind melds with the eagle. For like a split second, it's the weirdest thing. He's seeing through yeah. the eagle's eyes, yeah, right, yeah. as he's laying there, as he's waking up or whatever. It's like was that eagle sent to him? Because there had to have been plenty of eagles, and from the time he was a that with the bear to the time that he was that the man, yeah. there have been plenty of eagles that have flown past that village. So why this <laughs> eagle? You know, that's true. I don't. I don't know why. Yeah, you know, it was almost like it was meant to be. There's a moment when Dar gets a knock on the head. And some person falls out of one of the stilled houses in that battle where you hear the chimes and that, Kevin, you want to do the eagle noise? Oh, oh man. It's just like... <laughs> that's my so all-time favorite sound totally effect. So all-time, all-time favorite. That's my favorite sound effect, dude. It makes me laugh. Really? Not his hawk call? His we'll see. call? Yeah, but who amongst us has not practiced that hawk call? <laughs> seeing this oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. But... Yeah, like, I, or it was when the maybe when the dog got shot with the arrow. Yeah, something. Yeah, some that's moment what it was. there yeah. was like a sound effect, and it just seemed like something happened. I thought maybe he was just feeling the dog's pain. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it was like some sort of empathetic 
reaction to the dog getting shot that sort of opened the floodgates of his ability to communicate with him. That's a kind of a, a sad moment. Yeah. The dog, no, yeah, dog, that dog was a hero. Yeah, the dog sacrificed himself to... And I, I, I don't, there's I, no chance my dog would not try to drag me out of... Oh, yeah. Grace would <laughs> be like licking my face like, get up, dog. Get up, dad. <laughs> um, but he buy, bonds with the eagle, who he calls Sherak. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he finds that the Juns had like put all the villagers up on pikes, or which some was like of them, super gross. Some of them and some of them are just like laying around. In a, yeah, in a that's true. Room. But that was like gnarly. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it's like putting it's heads brutal, on pikes. Brutal. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like just very like for this movie, there's not a lot of blood in this movie. Mm. Like that was one of the more gruesome things. Oh, no, like. there's a much more gruesome scene. coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is where Dar starts his journey, basically, because now he's he's got um He's got his hawk. Well, he lays all the villagers to rest. Yeah. And there's like that poignant moment that almost got me choked up when he like lays the dead dog in his, his like dad. father's arms. Yeah. This is, this is a, for this type of movie. That was tender moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was kind of cool. That one like got me just because as a dog owner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I told you. I told you. Well, dear listeners, that's all we've got time for this week. But please join us next time as we continue our breakdown of The Beastmaster. Master.